Welcome to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reindler. Good evening and welcome to the first episode of Gridwalk. I'm Cameron Vandendunga, joined by Carl Reinler, and we are going to talk all things Formula One tonight and the Monza, or the Italian Grand Prix. Carl, a circuit that, uh, well, you uh, were thrown in the deep end just like Liam Lawson was at Zandvoort last weekend. Not quite the same deep end. Uh, my, my first uh, outing at Monza was 2005, British F3 Championship, and it was uh, it's frightening. It is the fastest circuit these guys go to. Even in an F3 back in the day, it uh, it was just outrageous. The the racing was hard. It's it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a massive weekend. We look at uh, Max Verstappen, who didn't quite get the job done for pole, but he's trying to break a record that has... Well, it's a broken record, isn't it, I guess? So he's uh, going for 10 in a row in terms of Formula 1. The last person did nine in a row, Sebastian Vettel, 10 years ago. So huge night coming up for him tonight. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to see if uh, if Max can get it done. Likewise, I mean, come on, we'd all love to see a Ferrari win at Monza. I mean, it's it's special. I wish I was over there. Unfortunately, we're uh, we're not. We're here in Melbourne, but uh, that would be pretty special, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be fantastic. Now, we're going out in SEN all over the country and to New Zealand as well. It's certainly going to be a big night of racing. There's plenty to play out. We've got, as you said before, Ferrari on pole and also in third place. And we've got a big show tonight to cover a lot of different things. We've got a special guest coming in, uh, Michael Smith, who's part of Motorsport Australia. He'll be helping us dissect some of the uh, calls that have been made by the stewards over the weekend. So if you do have any questions, please jump on the temper text line and send that information through to us. But uh, we'll be hearing from Eugene Arocca, the CEO of Motorsport Australia. He's over in the paddock in Monza. He'll be telling us what's going on, as well as the virtual stat man, Sean Kelly, who is, uh, well, he's, he's basically my cheat sheet, my teacher's edition when it comes to commentating at a Grand Prix, either in Australia or Singapore. Crofty uses him as well. We'll hear from Sean Kelly, also checking in from Monza, telling us a little bit more about some of the stats we can see over the weekend. But... Let's get into qualifying last night. Qualifying at Monza is so critically important. We know that uh, that track, you you need a, a, a tow, Carl, to get a good lap time in. A lot of the drivers last night tripping over each other. But uh, Ferrari looking very slippery at this circuit, which is critically important. Yeah, it's such a unique circuit. I think... I have to say Monza and Monaco are probably my two favorite qualifying sessions of the entire year. But funnily enough, for completely different reasons, Monaco, it's, it's obviously critical, you know, being on the front row of the grid. But but Monza, you end up in these DRS trains historically. Uh, we've had some unusual winners over the last few years as well. But it's, uh, it's, it's just a high-speed circuit. Like you say, the toe, the draft that they get is so critical. It can be worth a couple of tenths of a second per yeah. lap. Well, we, we talk about that toe, and Carlos Sainz actually got two toes throughout the uh, Q3, the, the final segment of qualifying, and was assisted by his teammate Charles Leclerc. But Charles uh, didn't get a toe, and he was a little bit uh, miffed by that. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg on Sky last night was, was actually quite vocal, saying that he probably should have been a bit harder in the pit, pit garage to ensure he at least got one toe in that final run. Just take us through it as a driver, as someone's running Formula 3, where it is critically important, how do you convince a teammate, I'm sure it was very hard in F3, to give you a toe? How do, how do you win that battle? Well, it's, it's a different dynamic. Uh, in an F3 team, you are usually a paying driver or at least bringing a sponsor to the table. So you've got a strong leg to stand on. When you say, you know, uh, I don't want to get screwed over by my teammate here, you're a paying customer. Whereas this is a very different dynamic. And I think 
these guys need to get their elbows out within that team environment to ensure that they have the best possible setup. And these sorts, these sorts of circuits like Monza, where you can get a, a two-tenth of a second advantage. And, and if you look up and down the grid, two-tenths of a second between teammates, and, and let's be honest, the, the teammate situation is probably, um, uh, I guess it's... It's the, the one person that you have to beat, right? You have to beat your teammate. You're in like-for-like like equipment. We were just talking about this before. So two-tenths of a second is, is everything. You need to make sure that you get a toe. And you've got three serious opportunities to get a toe around Monza. Yeah. And uh, so the teammate uh, to Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz on pole, six hundredths of a second back from him, Charles Leclerc. He'll start out a third. Max Verstappen, who's going for that record-breaking 10th win in a row. He'll start on the front row of the grid alongside Carlos Sainz. Then we look back on those teammate battles. George Russell, fresh off signing a new two-year deal. See him out to the end of 2015, or 2025, I should say. He'll start on the outside of the second row. His teammate, Lewis Hamilton, all the way back on the outside of the fourth row in eighth position. Lewis Hamilton, who said he's got unfinished business, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more over the, the course of the next few weeks on Gridwalk, what he means by unfinished business. But George Russell now just starting to get the edge on his and his teammates, much, uh, much more fancied teammate and one that has seven world titles to his name. George Russell, in my opinion, is an absolute superstar. He's got youth on his side. He's got a huge amount of experience. Uh, but coming from the Williams into the Mercedes, um, the, the team dynamic that I spoke about before, yeah, Lewis is the, how many world championships? Seven world championships now. Uh, coming into that team, it's going to take some time to, to get people on side, to get the team members on side, the mechanics, the engineers, team management, etc. I think the rivalry between those two is probably, if, I've, if I think about the grid as it is, the most equal matching of, of anyone as far as performance. Qualifying performance, I think they're 50-50 uh, at the moment. Race performance, I think they're similar in the championship. Obviously, there's other contributing factors. There's mechanical failures and things like that. But uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the next, uh, well, the tail end of this season and certainly into the next season. So looking at some of the other teammates that are out there as well, Oscar Piastri. The Australian starts out of P7, second time in the last three races. He's out-qualified his much more fancied teammate in Lando Norris. Wonderful signs for the young Melbourneian. I think it's super exciting. I have so much time for Oscar, obviously managed by Mark Webber. Uh, Mark's seen something in him. You know, I worked closely with Oscar 10 years ago. We, we identified him in the Motorsport Australia uh, Talent Identification Program. I can't believe 10 years later he's racing in Formula 1, but he absolutely deserves to be there. Lando is considered one of the best young drivers on that grid, and I think Oscar's ruffling a few feathers in there at the moment. He has proven that he's pacey and qualifying. He's smart. He's incredibly intelligent as a driver. You talk about that race craft that you need and race intelligence. He's got all of that, and he's just going to continue to get better and better. So what is it about him? You, you've known him, as we said, for quite a long time. A lot of our listeners that are particularly out of Melbourne and the Melbourne Karting Centre, they were, that was a big part of his journey early on. What is it that's so special about Oscar Piastri that's mean that he's been able to win on debut in Formula 3 in the championship, in the FIA Formula 3 championship, win on debut, or rookie, I should say, in Formula 2, and then come in and already be out-qualifying Lando Norris and getting a wonderful bank of points. What is it about him? We, we talk about talent in motorsport, and it's really hard to define what talent is. But to me, it's it's adaptability and his ability to jump into 
an F3 car for the first time, win that championship on debut. Obviously, F2, he stepped into F1, took a year off as well. But more importantly, we, we quite often talk about um, bandwidth or capacity in the car. And, and for Oscar, he's just got to drive the car for him. I think it comes so effortlessly. So he can think about the big picture. He can think about the balance of the car, you know, what changes need to be made in the uh, in the pit area. Um, he's he's thinking about the big picture all of the time. And for me, that's a huge part of it. He's just, yeah, it's, to me, race intelligence. All right. We'll look at a couple of other of the teammates with slightly differing uh, results at the end of qualifying. Alex Elbin in the Williams. We're just starting to see that car in Q3 regularly. Alex Elbin, we knew he was a star. He was pretty much offloaded out of the Red Bull program, and maybe we'll talk about that a little later as well. But Alex Elbin up in the top six, his teammate sitting a bit further down the order there. Probably, if you heard on the radio call from Logan Sargent, was a bit frustrated with himself that he wasn't able to get that lap time in. Wonderful result, though, from from Alex. Well, you talk about Logan Sar- Sargent. Firstly, uh, the, the one thing you need to do, and, and what's, I think, one of the best parts of Formula 1 qualifying at the moment is you have to perform under pressure. You have one opportunity at a circuit like this to get the lap done. And Logan, in his uh, yeah, he's he's quite green to the sport. Uh, he's been in, involved in motorsport for a long time, but this is uh, you know is very new to Formula One. He just didn't didn't perform under pressure. Whereas Alex, Alex is so comfortable in that car, that environment. He's loving the Williams team at the moment, and it's showing. Like I, I have not seen Alex even just walking around the paddock. I've I've been to seven rounds of Formula One this year. There's just confidence, there's air about him at the moment. He's just in a really happy place and he's got momentum. He performed really well last week as well at Zandvoort. So I I, I think he's going to be sticking around there for some time. Uh, it's one of the bigger deficits, I think, between teammates, between Alex. In fact, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, but I don't think Logan's outperformed Alex in qualifying once this season. He's got a lot of work to do, but a driver that has not outperformed his teammate in this one is is uh, Lance Stroll, and he sits dead last. Fernando Alonso got himself up into the top 10. Yet again, Fernando Alonso in that Q3 segment. Where is it going wrong for Lance at the moment? Look, I, I just don't know. Um, he looks very comfortable in a different way to Alex, uh, bordering on complacent in a way. Uh, Fernando, in my opinion, is one of, if not the, the greatest driver on that grid. The experience that he has at 41 years old now, um, he's, he's a huge talent, always has been. He's loving that car. He's comfortable with where he's at in his career. And Lance just isn't able to extract the most out of that car. Interestingly, I saw the team manager, Michael Crack, who came out in the media. Go on, call him exactly what you want to call him. Mike Crack. Um, he came out in the media this week talking about... Uh, how it's it's difficult to be critical of Lance. You look at his championship position, and it's not a fair assessment of his overall performance in the car. The team believe that they've let him down, but I I, I think they're they're coming up with excuses at the moment for Lance. I I think that Fernando is really uh, outshining. At the same time, I think I think Fernando's done a really good job of playing that leadership role within that team and, and kind of bringing Lance back up to speed and, and giving him some confidence, but he's just not grabbing it with both hands and making the most of it. Well, someone that, well, a team that will be hoping to make the most of it is Ferrari, starting for pole for a record-extending 23rd time at Monza. That's the most, Carl, of any constructor at any circuit. 
they're doing it at home, aren't they? You saw the crowd. They went nuts when they saw their two drivers in the top three. It was wonderful to see. There was a really interesting uh, note that I saw. So Verstappen tonight, and this is probably the story for me, outside of Ferrari winning at Monza, the story is that Verstappen needs to beat the pole-sitting Ferrari to keep Red Bull's run of winning every race so far this season going. So, Carl, I know you love your stats. I know you love a little bit of history. The last team that went on this sort of run for a perfect season was McLaren back in 1988, and they were only stopped once by Ferrari 1-2 at Monza. Will we see history repeat tonight at the Italian Grand Prix? I think a lot of it's going to come down to the race start. As we've seen in the past, we saw Daniel win in the McLaren with Lando playing tail gunner. If you can get two Ferraris into the first corner, first and second, I reckon they're in a really strong position. I know Ferrari have been criticised this uh, this year. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that at some stage about some of the str- strategy decisions. But um, I, I'd i like to think that if Ferrari can lead the race first and second with whoever it is that's in second place playing tail gunner. Similar situation to, to Lando uh, defending um, for, for Daniel in the lead in the McLaren a few years ago. They're in a really strong position. Saying that, Max really has nothing to lose. You know? No, he doesn't. He's, he's got the championship all but wrapped up. Uh, we'll see how the rest of this season plays out. He does. It's Max's to lose from here. He's, he could wrap it up at Japan. But let's get into grid walk. We've done a bit of analysis on last night. We're going to change things up in the way we talk about Formula One, and we're going to start with a little thing I like to call track limits. We're going to need your help, though, Carl, and all of our listeners as well. So let's get into track limits. Track limits for temper. A mattress like no other. Proud sponsors of the Formula One on SEM. Okay, that was a third stroke of track limits. You've now been given the black and white flag. Is Cam inside or outside the track? So those people that know me well, Carl, and have been listening to me commentate uh, motor races all over Australia, all over the, well, in parts of the world anyway, know that I like to make a big call and I, I'm slightly contentious. So we've decided that yeah, I need your help, Carl. I need all of our listeners' help to tell me whether I'm inside or outside the lines. You look a little bit nervous at the moment. Should I be nervous? No, you shouldn't be nervous. I'm going to make a big call right now. This is something I truly believe in at my core. I'm going to upset a lot of Australians, unfortunately. And, Carl, I think a part of your heritage is probably going to hurt with what I say next. And that is Liam Lawson deserved the Alpha Tauri drive more than Daniel Ricciardo. How does that land, Carl? I I just need a second to digest that. Firstly, I'm a West Australian and I grew up with Daniel and I think he's amazing. He's incredibly talented. He's served, you know, he's been been fantastic. He's been a great representative of uh, of Australia. I'm going to go one further. I'll go so far as to say that if Liam Lawson scores points tonight in a car that no one has scored points in, in that car it's particularly DeVries, Daniel Ricciardo, admittedly only two races, and now Liam Lawson. But if he scores points tonight, I think the team could potentially look at delaying his return from injury by a couple of more races just to get another bit of a read on Liam Lawson, the young Kiwi. Well, you've, you've hit the mark in being uh, controversial. You're going to upset a few people, I think, out there. But uh, I think the Kiwis will be happy to hear that. Um, Liam Lawson is an absolute superstar. I was the driving standards advisor for the F4 category when Liam was involved, and he caused me a lot of trouble at the time, but he's gone from strength to strength. I think he's deserving of a Formula One drive, but 
your statement is a little bit different. You're uh, cutting a little bit deeper there. No, what, I, what I'm saying, and we'll start to pull it apart through the rest of the show. So we've got some prizes to give away thanks to Motorsport Australia. The Shannon Speed Series is coming up at Sandown next weekend, so it'll only help for our Melburnians. But plenty of double passes to give away, and we've got four course car rides around the Sandown circuit. A fantastic prize. Thank you very much to Motorsport Australia for giving us those for today. And thank you also for Temper for joining us. A mattress like no other sponsoring Track Limits tonight. So I'd love your feedback. Am I inside or outside the lines when I say that Liam Lawson deserved the Alpha Tauri drive more than Daniel Ricciardo? There's a lot more to it, Carl. I'm going to put more meat around the bones. I'm not just saying it for the sake of being inflammatory. Yeah, well, I've had a bit of time to finally digest what you've said. And, I mean, the other side of it is you've got this huge Red Bull Junior junior driving program and they've brought young drivers into the sport brought them through the junior formula uh, and daniel was obviously a part of that once upon a time putting daniel i mean putting daniel in that car as a seasoned campaigner i i think it has a lot of positives but then does it the question maybe to ask you because <laughs> i don't want to be the one to make the call on it but does it undermine the Red Bull Junior program by well, by putting someone like Daniel in the seat. And I guess that's what I'm sort of reading between the lines. That's what you're trying to get to. We'll get there more on the other side of this. We're going to take a break on Gridwalk, but plenty more coming up on the other side of this. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. Welcome back to Gridwalk, and it's time now for the stewards' room. This, Carl, is something that I'm really looking forward to bringing uh, all of our listeners as part of our show going forward, and it's an opportunity to pull apart, dissect some of the views that, uh, or some of the rules and the interpretations made by stewards and officials at Grand Prix at events gone by and in weeks uh, that we're currently living within. Now, you, Carl, before we get to our very special guest... You work with these crew. You're a medical car driver in the Formula One world. You also work in race control in uh, in motorsport here in Australia as well. It's it's something that a lot of people don't see, just how much goes into each of the decisions. Yeah, look, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been on the, the receiving end of my fair share of penalties throughout my uh, racing career, and now I get to see it from the other side of the fence in race control. And I can tell you, my experience up there, there is so much going on. There's so much information to um, interpret, to understand, making accurate decisions with so much pressure as well. So it's not an easy gig that these guys have. And unfortunately, someone has to do it. They have to make the hard decisions. Well, I like to think he has an easy gig. Michael Smith, who joins us here, Director of Motorsport for Motorsport Australia. Michael Smith, I've known for a very, very long time since he worked in the Victorian office there. And now you're the head of motorsport, mate, at Motorsport Australia. Thank you for joining us on the show. And thanks for actually putting yourself forward to talk from an official standpoint, to defend decisions and to give us a bit of an insight what goes into them. Yeah, thanks, Cam. And it's great to be here. Yeah, well, mate, the big one this weekend, and I've prepared you for this. I didn't want to leave you, although I'll be honest, you would have watched that last night and known exactly what I was going to ask you about. And that is that we had a regulation that said on the qualifying part to keep the cars moving, there was a minimum lap time that they needed to achieve. Two cars breached that regulation and two cars were allowed to continue in that racing and they were both Ferraris racing at the Italian Grand Prix. Michael, take us through what happened on that decision. No pressure there, is there, Cam? It's two Ferraris in Monza on pole and in third position. So a little bit of pressure there on the stewards. Um, 
you mentioned it earlier. I mean, the drivers have been playing a bit of cat and mouse this year throughout qualifying in particular, and they they need to find an optimum uh, performance window for their times. And as you guys mentioned earlier, they're always looking for a toe down the straight. And that often results in uh, drivers driving excessively slow around the circuit during a qualifying session. It seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it, that you're having to tell drivers to drive faster in qualifying. But we had that last night. There's a provision in the sporting regulations that the drivers don't drive excessively slowly during qualifying. And in the race director's instructions, Niels Vidic put a, a delta time in his race director notes and and uh, determined that no driver could drive slower than a minute 41. And to put that in context, that's about 20 seconds slower than a qualifying lap. And of course, two Ferraris did that last night, didn't they? Um, of course, Niels Vidic did the right thing. He referred it to the stewards and the stewards had a look at it. And to Carl's point earlier, they've got a lot of information, the stewards. They would have looked at the data from the cars. They would have looked at the telemetry from the cars, the, the footage and all of the tracking systems and the timing systems, of course. And there's two reasons why they, that rule exists. The first rule, the first reason is because safety. We don't want drivers crashing into each other when they're driving slowly. And the second one is for sporting fairness and not impeding another driver. So the stewards had a, a really good look at that decision, uh, those two drivers, and I think made the right call here, Cam. Um, they it's just... still contentious, though, isn't it? I mean, well, this is the, the hard part. There's only two cars that didn't do it. it was in, and, and you you go, well, you've just written, written a regulation. That's Is that, I guess, the hard part of being a steward, being an official, is that you, you almost have to break a rule the moment you made it? And I know there was wiggle room in that that regulation that they wrote. There is. And, and I look. I think if you bring it back to those two fundamental areas, safety and, and sporting fairness, they the stewards determined that by in fact slowing down where they did, they actually were safer than had they kept to the delta time. So in this instance, I think a little bit of flexibility was the right decision. Um, and so I reckon they got that one right. Track limits as well. well. We'll jump onto this one. Track limits, by the way, I'll just remind everybody, track limits we're talking about if you text in 0433 98 11 16, or you can call us on 1300 736 736 if you'd like to ask a question to Michael while we have him before the break and uh, and hear exactly what his interpretation or understanding of stewards' rooms are. But we'll also, from a track limits perspective, please let me know whether you think I was inside or out, outside the bounds earlier but Michael, track limits also at Monza. That uh, looked like quite a few people impeding that. Is, it, is there a greater focus this year than in previous years? Look, I don't think there's a greater focus. I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of instances this year, haven't we? I mean, we had Austria. I think there were 17 cars that were exceeded track limits during the race. Last night, there was seven during Q1, which I thought was pretty interesting. The only track limit breaches were during Q1. So I don't know if that was anything to do with the, the hard tyre compound or not. I don't think there's an increased focus on it, Cam. I think um, the technology is getting a little bit better and they're able to monitor it more than they have been in the past. Ironically, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are supercars fans, the system we use in supercars is actually a lot more effective for managing track limits than what they use in Formula One, ironically. But the systems are getting better. And, and as I said, we've had seven drivers in Q1 breach track limits and therefore got a penalty. Well, mate, stick around for a second. We've got a, a special guest calling in, virtual stat man Sean Kelly's calling us all the way from Monza. Michael, you stick around because we're going to get him for a few minutes. Sean, have I got you there? Hi, Cam. How are you doing? Good afternoon from Monza. 
Well, mate, it's great to have the virtual stat man on uh, the airwaves of Australia and New Zealand at the moment. Take us through a couple of your key stats tonight. I've got your stats pack in front of me, mate. There could be some records broken today. Yeah, well, of course, it's all on Max Verstappen, isn't it? Unbeaten since April the 30th, going for 10 in a row. So that's never, ever been done in Formula One before. And we somewhat joke about it here in Formula One. Can anybody beat him? Please, can somebody beat him? It seems like no one's ever going to beat him. But we underestimate the difficulty in what they're actually achieving right now, to execute every week and not make those mistakes. You know, we saw at Zandvoort, uh, we had heavy rain right at the start. We had heavy rain towards the end. Verstappen didn't make a mistake. Other drivers made mistakes, but he didn't. So we could, if we're watching another Verstappen win today, I know people might think, okay, this is getting a little bit tedious, but we will be seeing something that has never been achieved in Formula One before. Now, Sean, I know we've only got you very briefly because you've got to go and do an interview with uh, one of Carl Reinler, who's on air with us here, one of his uh, crewmates, his teammates in Burns Maylander very shortly. But just give us an idea. You, I know you also crunch not only stats before a weekend, but you also look at tyre data. You look at some other information through practice and qualifying. Who are the likely threats to Ferrari? And can Max actually get this done today? Well, it's intriguing, and I don't want to sound like I'm building up suspense where there is none, but the long-run pace in FP2 was interrupted by that crash for Checo Perez. So we're not quite sure where everybody is. It Normally, everything points to Max Verstappen being convincingly quicker in race pace. We're used to the idea that it's a close call in qualifying. The Red Bull is vulnerable in qualifying, and at the start of the race. There are six different drivers have led the first lap of the race this year. If Sainz does it, it'll be seven. That's the most for 14 years, seven different drivers leading the first lap of a Grand Prix. But as we've seen, the staff, and once the DRS zone is activated, the staff and just sort of cruises past and drives away into the sunset. The data from Friday did not conclusively point to that being the case here. So I don't want to say for certain, oh, that, you know, this is the one race they're going to lose. But there is a greater corridor of uncertainty, to use a, a piece of business jargon. We're not quite sure, um, particularly as Ferrari, very good on the straight, Red Bull not so good on the straight, and Mercedes absolutely terrible on the straight, if Ferrari uh, have got enough straight-line speed there uh, that they could perhaps counteract Red Bull's DRS advantage. Well, Sean Kelly, thank you very much, mate. You've set it up beautifully for us tonight. Hopefully we'll hear from you a bit more throughout the season and uh, as we wind up the rest of Formula One. In the meantime, you're tuned in to Gridwalk and we'll be back um, after this break. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-981116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. Thanks for sticking with us. Remember, we've got those giveaways for Sandown next week with the Shannon Speed Series. We've got a couple of uh, double passes for those that text in and call us as well here at the Gridwalk. And we've got four course car rides to give, as well, give away as well. So Noah from Mount Eliza, I'll get to you shortly because I'm very happy he's, uh, he's given me the tick with that I'm inside the track limits. You've given me I'm outside track limits, Carl. But before we get to that, we were talking to Michael Smith from Motorsport Australia, the director of Motorsport. Now, Michael, we talked a bit about officials' decisions. Kenton on the road has texted in, wet tyres, what's the future usage for those? The main reason they're asking this question, though, Michael, is... Are we going to... Oh, sorry, it's Kenton on the road. We've got him on the phone. Kenton, do you want to actually ask the question while you've got 
our uh, Director of Motorsport here. G'day there fellas, how are you going? Um, first of all, Liam Lawson, definitely inside track limits. Not that controversial of a, of a take, I'd say, to reinstate a junior at Alphatauri. Um, yeah, thanks Michael for jumping on. Just wanted to ask, yeah, essentially, um, what uh, the fellas just outlined there, what do you see as the future use of the full wet blue stripe tyre, particularly after Lysander bought last week and, and a seemingly um, increasing apprehensiveness of um, F1 to actually let racers um, use that tyre. Yeah, thanks for the question, Kenton, and I'd, I'd be keen on Carl's thoughts as well, but I certainly see a future of the full wet tyre in Formula 1, as with the intermediates. Of course, we all saw Zandvoort last weekend where there was a, a red flag due to the, the wet weather. The issue with rain is actually standing water on the circuit. So when there's good drainage on the circuit, it doesn't really matter how much rain there is. It's the standing water that causes the issues for the cars and they actually then aquaplane off the circuit. And of course, we saw that with a few of the cars in Zandvoort last weekend. So from my point of view, I think the wet tyre still has a place in Formula 1 and I think wet racing still has a place in Formula 1. Um, some of the circuits just need get to get a bit better at their drainage. Carl, I'm be interested in your view. Yeah, look, I, I support that uh, to a certain extent. I think a lot of the circuits we go to, I, I was at Spa uh, about a month ago and, and it was raining a lot over that weekend. It's these old school circuits that have been there forever. Um, they haven't updated the, the drainage at the circuit. So I, I, I do think a big part of the issue is the standing water. But for me, the biggest issue is actually the visibility. Um, the issue, and it's something I know the FIA and Formula One are collectively trying to address, is how much water the Formula One cars physically lift off the ground. They've got these huge tunnel you know, ground effects and they just suck the water off the ground and it, it just settles back on the track. Um, it's, it's a massive issue. They quite often send uh, Bernd Maylander and myself out onto the circuit to assess the level of grip where there might be standing water before a session starts. This is all sort of stuff you don't see behind the scenes. We'll go out there. I, I did a, I did a lot of laps at, uh, at Spa this year just trying to get a read on how much grip there was, if it was dangerous or not. And, and I can tell you, hand on heart, it was bloody dangerous out there for, for Spa. I was aquaplaning in the medical car, which is a high-performance road car, but it's, an, it's indicative of what they're likely to experience with another you know, 50% more speed at every single corner. But for me, the bigger issue is visibility, and we saw a massive accident, um, oh gosh, about a month ago, where a car um, got T-boned in, in wet conditions. And it, when it's wet like that, you, you just cannot see. I, I recall races of my own over the years where you are literally following a, a flicker of a red light from the, the tail light of the car in front of you. You don't know whether you're on the, you know, the grass, the, the circuit, or, or anything in between. It's a, it's a horrifying and, and really frightening experience in uh, inside one of those open wheelers. Well, thank you both for that. Thank you, Kenton, for the question as well. Really appreciate that. And if you want to pro a double pass to Sandown, Kenton, we'll make sure that's on its way to you. And I think with that one, mate, you also get a course car ride. Outstanding. Thanks very much, fellas. Great to hear from Kenton. Remember to dial in as well on one uh, or you can text us at 0433981116 and we'll get all of your questions on Gridwalk. Michael, we actually have one of your uh, colleagues about to join us on the phone very shortly from Monza as well. We haven't just got him there yet, but Eugene Arocca, the CEO of Motorsport Australia, is on his farewell tour of uh, the world at the moment, isn't he, Michael? He's been a wonderful, wonderful member of uh, Motorsport Australia community. 
We got him out of North Melbourne too, historically. So he's got an AFL background. Before we do get to him, though, a couple of text messages that have come in. Noah from Mount Eliza. I reckon that you're within track limits there, Cameron. I enjoy reading this one out, Michael uh, Michael and uh, Carl. Alpha Tauri, all about giving opportunities to young talents. And Liam was the perfect candidate for the seat, in my opinion. But it was a roll of the dice. So far, Liam has been just that little bit faster than Daniel. Both Liam and Daniel have had little experience in that car. So far, it's impressive from both of them. Noah from Mount Eliza will also throw a couple of uh, passes your way. You can take your dad. I know Noah from Mount Eliza, a good young man that actually loves his Formula One. And uh, I think they'll be able to go in a course car ride as well. Jason, I'm going to ask this question uh, of Michael and Carl, that we've had Jason who's texted in as well. When do you think Dan will be back from injury? Has anything you know, Carl, you're the medical car driver. Surely you know something. I've been on a summer break here in winter in, in, in Melbourne, so I, I'm a bit out of the loop, uh, unfortunately. I uh, Look, I, I just don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah, He's got to do it right. He's got to make sure the recovery is is you know, 100% before he jumps back into a car. The risk of further damage uh, is just not worth it. I, I've heard nothing. Michael, I'm not sure if you've heard anything about no, that. look, I haven't heard anything either. But what I do know is I don't think he'd be enjoying watching Liam Lawson race at the moment. I mean, Cameron, uh, Liam, uh, Daniel will be desperate to get back into that car and he'll be doing everything possible to make sure he's on the grid at Singapore, I would have thought. We've got a couple of other texts in as well. We've got, uh, Cam, how do you think Oscar Piastri is going in relation to Lando Norris as a fellow Halebury legend? Pedo from Dingley. And yes, Pedo from Dingley, it says PS, worth a prize, surely. We've got a couple of double passes coming your way as well. And Pedo, if you are old enough, and I know he is, because that'll be Mark Peterson from Dingley, who'll be out there, another another old Haleburian. Um, I think Oscar's been going unbelievably well. And Carl, to, I guess there's an opportunity for you to expand on your feelings of how a rookie driver has been able to take it to Lando Norris, a driver that's been through that rookie pathway and now is expected to get race wins or at least podiums regularly. Yeah, I think McLaren have made a great decision putting Oscar into that seat. Obviously a little bit controversial with uh, with Daniel's departure from, uh, from McLaren. But Oscar is right on track. He's doing everything he needs to do. I know you look at the championship, you look at his qualifying results and he hasn't, uh, you know, he's, He's not got the same amount of points as uh, as Lando, but in my opinion, he's just going to get stronger and stronger in that seat. He will be putting a lot of pressure under on on Lando. I think uh, you know, if not already. Michael, while I've got you here, because at the next break we'll probably lose you to your family and the rest of your night. But your thoughts on a young Australian driver, a Melbourneian? You're a Melbourneian yourself. You must be so proud of him. Oh, I mean, what a great ambassador for our sport. I mean, he's fast, he's he's great with the media, and he, he's just doing everything that he needs to do this year. And I think, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but I, I would expect Oscar will be a race winner in the next few years and hopefully our next contender for a world championship. How does he line up, Carl, in that team when there's a bit of noise around uh, Lando potentially, you know, at the end of his time with McLaren, the end of the current contract, moving across to a Red Bull seat? There's just a bit of a whisper around the back. I'm going to ask you, actually, probably a more direct question. It could be argued that uh, in some strategic calls by the team, they've lent more to the side of Lando Norris. When do they start switching and giving Oscar the, the new upgrades, even if not the new upgrades, at least the strategy calls? I mentioned something about this earlier when we were talking about George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. George obviously entering that team. It, it naturally takes time. You think about any work environment. It's a working environment. Yes, there's a huge focus and a, and a spotlight on the drivers, but 
they they need to ensure that their mechanics, their engineers, the, the guys that are working on you know the gearboxes, every single role, and, and and you know how many people come to these race events. There's there's hundreds of staff per team that come to these race events. It's just going to take some time for Oscar to get these guys on side. Um, but what I love about Oscar is there's very there's next to no ego there compared to a lot of the guys we see in Formula One, and I, I really love that about him. And I think that goes a long way. I think he's he's an intelligent young bloke, and he's going to be having having the team on his side and, and making better decisions for him in in no time at all. And and I I wanted to to back up what Michael said just before. I I think that Oscar has the ingredients to be our next Aussie World Champion. Jeez, he's in for a big night tonight. Just looking at the coverage right now, the Porsche Super Cup podium is uh, underway there. Great to see those uh, those young drivers that are doing so well. We'll probably cover off Harry Jones, a young Australian driver, a little later on, Carl, or unless you wanted to add something right now. Well, he's standing on the top uh, step of the podium for the uh, for the rookie uh, Super Cup race. So uh, fantastic to see an Aussie. And they're probably playing the Aussie anthem at Monza as we speak right now. Well, as we speak right now on Gridwalk, we're going to take a break. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. Welcome back to Gridwalk, Carlos. We've had a couple of other SMSs coming in on the text line, temper text line. I'd just like to say, what's the future hold for Daniel Ricciardo? I didn't put their name to it, but that probably goes more to the point of the beginning when I said track limits inside or outside, Liam Lawson is the future. Daniel Ricciardo, where's he at? So I guess it reignites the, the question that you posed. And I, I reckon I sat on the fence pretty hard when uh, when you asked me before. Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of Daniel, fellow West Aussie. Got a lot of time for Liam. He is mega behind the wheel. One thing I've thought about, what it depends what the team are trying to achieve here. Um, they, they've been struggling as a team. It's they're not shying away from it. And I think to bring someone like Daniel, everyone looks at pace. Pace is in your face all the time. It's black and white. It's what everyone focuses on. But to me, it's more than just your outright pace. And I think we can all agree that Liam has shown that he's got got the edge on Daniel. Um, leadership is another story. I think Daniel is a fantastic leader within the team. And the other thing amongst all that is the development of the car. I think Daniel knows how to develop a car. He's come from that era where car development was everything. So if the team are looking for someone to play the leadership role, develop the car a little bit more to improve for 2024 season, then they've probably got the right person behind the wheel. Um, There's also this sense of looking after the car, I think as well, uh, which Daniel's a very safe set of hands. Um, No, well, that's a bit, a bit uncomfortable uh, set of hand, I should say. Um, but yeah, to me, what are they trying to achieve as a team? Um, the important part for me is the Red Bull Junior program. And, and I think you cannot neglect that. Putting Liam behind that wheel, he'll become really good at playing that leader. He'll become very good at developing the car. In fact, he was he was known for it in his, his rookie rookie days as well. So He's, he's got everything. Uh, I think for Daniel, uh, if, if he can hold out for another few races, I think it's fantastic for him. I think he's had a pretty good run. So, I, am I inside or outside the lines, Carl? Mate, I, I'm going to say you're inside the lines Look here. Look out. Which I haven't is, had... Which is really tough for me to say. I, Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Dan, but... Um, 
Yeah, and, and Dan has actually been really encouraging of Liam. I've, I've seen a couple of uh, statements from him. He's been happy to help out, um, Made you know, reached out to Liam to say, mate, if there's anything I can do to help, get you back up to speed. He's really supportive. I think Daniel knows where he's at and where Liam's at. They're at very different ends of the spectrum at the moment. So as it stands, everybody that has either texted or called in has said, I'm inside the lines. I think social media might be a different story a little later on, and, and I'll add to it. When Daniel does come back, I'll be cheering very, very hard for him at any race I'm not commentating to make sure he gets that race win. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. Let's quickly cover off some before we finish the show. Track sweepers, when we talk about our younger drivers on their way through. Formula 3, their championship is run and done, Carlos. Unfortunately, Hugh Barter, a good young man, his season finished till it raced too early, just ran out of budget. Hopefully we can get him up and running. It was his first crack at Formula 3. We also had Christian Mansell and uh, Tommy Smith as well, with a Y. I love saying that name. So it's great to see Tommy Smith have a crack at Formula 3 at uh, an international level. Yeah, good to have three Aussies in those junior categories. I was getting a little bit concerned for a while that that pathway of uh, a youth coming through uh, representing Australia and uh, and this part of the world in general, the Kiwis as well, um, was sort of falling by the wayside. But to have three Aussies in F3 is fantastic. There were some good results throughout the season. I think Christian ended up on the podium a couple of times. I saw him at Spa on the podium. He did a great job. They all come from great families. Um, they're all really good people. They work hard, great work ethic. And uh, they deserve all the success they get. So Christian Mansell finished 12th in the championship. Hugh Barter finished 19th with the 14 points he had. And Tommy Smith didn't get any points, but got a lot of experience throughout the course of the year. One more round remaining for F2 as well. And Jack Doohan, who had a wonderful run there just a couple of races ago, but then had a shocker at Zandvoort and hasn't really able, been able to do much. Only eight points in the final race at Monza. No points in the first race, but one round to go. Yeah, Jack is another young Aussie superstar. Uh, I was talking to Mick, actually, his father, the uh, famous... Uh, 500 cc uh or motor gp as we know it now world champion and uh they had a rough start to the year they really couldn't get on top of that car and everyone thinks just because it's a one make formula and formula two for, for those that don't know maybe you just follow formula one they're all identical cars identical chassis gearbox engine you name it they're all identical yes you can tweak the wings the the, the dampers the suspension tire pressures etc etc but for the most part it's one make but there's still an art form in getting on top of that car. All right, we're starting to wrap up grid walk. First time, we've got plenty more races to go every week. We will be uh, bringing you all of the action. Carl, your prediction for tonight's race? I am going to say Carlos Sainz for the win. I'd love to see him win. So we're ho hoping for Ferrari in your corner. For me, I wonder if Ferrari will get their strategy right, their pit stops right, and don't be fooled by my Dutch surname. I'm going for Max Verstappen purely because I'd love to see a record break tonight. I think he's an incredible talent and that team is fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Gridwalk.